you are you and that is your superpower. And being a woman in and of itself is a superpower. And the more that we step into that and the more that we embrace that as women, daughters, mothers, sisters, aunts, grandmas, no matter what, the stronger we're going to become and the stronger we're going to become together. And the more that we can do to educate the next generation about this speaks gravity and millions to what we are capable of doing today. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries, a community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Calling all women who love their ride. I would like to introduce you to a one-of-a-kind women's motor fest. You will not want to miss this sisterhood celebration of women-owned whips, cars, trucks, motorcycles, ATVs. If it has a motor, it belongs. Ladies, this is our motor fest. Boys are welcome to attend but the spotlight will be owned by the women in their whips. Check out all the details by visiting womensmotorfest.com. Rachel Alfonso is in the driver's seat today. Rachel grew up surrounded by cars, which became her passion as she got older. She started working for mechanic shops and dealerships all over South Florida which opened the door for her to work alongside one of Florida's greatest rare car collectors. Because of her perseverance and connections, she was able to bring to life the world's first and only children's book written to teach kids about automotive history through facts, graphics, and authentic sounds. Now let's sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Rachel Alfonso in the driver's seat today. How are you doing today, Rachel? I am so beyond excited to be here, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. It is my absolute pleasure. And you came to me in a unique way where I did not find you. You had someone find me, <laughs> which is way cool. And I love when that happens because one, it's easier. And two, it's so amazing to have other people know about Femcanic Garage and start to realize and become clear what Femcanic Garage is all about. And Brandon reached out to me. He's from CREF, a nonprofit, awesome nonprofit. And he said, Hey, I think there may be someone that you might want to look into possibly interviewing. And I'm like, okay, well, let me find out more information. He sent me your information and I always do my homework on all the women that I interview. And I'm like, boy, she does fit the bill. (laughs) So here we are. Thank you, Brandon. Uh, You're probably going to listen to this at some point for introducing me to Rachel. And we met last night, got BSing. With all my guests, I will not get into all of the details in the pre-interview because I want to leave my authentic reactions and our authentic conversation for the recorded interview. 
I'm real excited to be chatting with you today and start learning about your journey in this industry. Let's get it. I'm so excited. I want to start at the beginning. When you were a little girl, Mm -hmm. did you always know you were going to get into cars? No, I genuinely had no idea that cars were going to be my life path. Um, I, I had inclinations. I grew up with a single dad. And so for one, I was not only single dad, but I have a younger brother. So I grew up in a house full of boys. So very quickly, I became into sports, into cars, being outside, going on the boat, because it was, if I'm not going, then I'm staying home alone. And no, no kid wants to do that. So quickly, I started to get involved with what they liked. And it wasn't like a pressure. It actually was a amazing eye opener of like, wait, I love going out to car meets with dad. I, I love playing Hot Wheels with Buddy, like when we get home and like we would build RC cars and stuff for fun in the garage after school. And I was like, this is actually really, really fun. I what if I do this instead of, I don't know, like going to dance class or, you know, something like that. And my dad was all for it. He's like, no, if this is what you like, then we'll do this. You can stay home. We can go wherever you want to go. We can go to car shows more. We can, you know, build more cars if you want. Like we can start doing like renovations on my car. I'm like, you know what? Like this is the lifestyle that I think fits the bill better than, you know, going to tap class at 4 p.m. after school every day because that was it became torturous at one point, I think. (laughs) You're like, this is not for me. No. One thing that you mentioned and that I'm picking up in the conversation is your dad and your brother. Mm hmm. And your brother's name's Buddy. And what's dad's name? So they're both named Richard, Okay, actually. So I call them, uh, Pops is my dad, and Buddy is my brother. But most of his friends call him Richie, but he's he's my buddy. Gotcha. I'm with you. And you're five years older than your brother. Yes. You mentioned that, right? Yes. I'm not hearing you talk about mom. And I don't want the listeners to think that Typically, uh, cars are boys and men talk about cars, women don't. Mm -hmm. And I just want to explore that a little bit. No, of course. Uh, When I was about 12 years old, my mom left. Uh, And that's okay. To be honest, it's one of those things where at first I was like, oh, why? Why me? This and that. And then now as an adult, I can reflect back and I'm like, you know what? I think my life propelled forward in a more positive and affluential way without her in my day-to-day life. And growing up without a mom was difficult. Like the poor things that my father had to go through. Like I can't imagine what that must've been like for a single father. Like the first time I, I, I got my period and he was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to take her. I don't know what to buy her. Like just like pulling his hair out. And I, I love him for that. I love him for taking me prom dress shopping trying to, to buy me makeup when he would buy me like glittery, like weird stuff that you'd buy like a five-year-old. <laughs> And I'm like, no, no pops. Like, that's not what we wear. But he he tried with all his heart. And, uh, you know, now my, my dad and I are so close. And I actually, my, my dad has remarried. I do have a stepmom. Her name is Karen. And she is the absolute light of my life. I love her with all of my heart. And she has come into our, our little trio and made it this beautiful quartet. And she has nothing but care and devotion for my dad and my brother. And once I saw that, that's actually when I decided to move out because for a long time I stayed home because those were my boys and I wanted to take care of my boys. And I was very skeptical about letting another woman in 
because I was like, they need someone. They need the female touch. Like they're they're okay by themselves, but they need that feminine touch. And when I saw what she was capable of and how much love she had to give, I was like, you know what? There's no one better than Karen to do this. So, and now they have this beautiful little trio there home. I love going home to visit. They're only like 30 minutes away. So I try to go up every weekend and see them. And it's just this beautiful chaotic mess that like I'm so happy that I I basically like got them into and they have such a healthy functioning relationship the three of them so I'm like you know what this is perfect this is wonderful I couldn't ask for anything more so it was difficult growing up without a mom but now being an adult with a beautiful stepmom I'm actually very much more appreciative of the maternal role in my life than I maybe would have been back then that's beautifully put Wow, that's so cool. How old were you when your father remarried or met Karen? He met Karen when I was, I want to say, I was about 18 or 19. So this is like five, five, six years ago. And it started out with, you know, obviously dad was like tentative about bringing a new woman in. So it took them longer. And she also has a, a son. So like they were very, and the son's my age. So like, obviously they're in very similar places in their lives. They have fully grown adult children. They're not being a parent to anyone necessarily in that role of like a younger child who needs parenting, who needs that kind of lifestyle shift where it's like, okay, well, I already raised one kid. Now I got to go back and raise another. Like yeah. my, my brother and I were done at that point, And so it was her son. And so they kind of came into their lives and then there would be these auxiliary players, which are my brother, me and her son. And so they got married in 2018. So it took like, yeah, like three, four years of like dating and going through the motions for, for pops to pop the question. And he did it in front of all of us like a gentleman. He had all the kids involved. So he did it the right way. And then they got married in 2018 and they've been together ever since. That is way cool. Well, congratulations. And I love how you put it. I'll have to go back and listen to the replay, but it's like beautiful chaos. It is. And when you have a blended family, even if you don't have a blended family, anyone who has a family with children and partners, spouses, there is always chaos. Oh, yeah. Right? That's that's part of it. But you add a blended aspect, there's even more chaos. But it's a beautiful chaos. Exactly. And it's crazy, you know, when COVID hit, I don't know about you, and we weren't able to do a lot of the family functions that we used to. I found myself missing it. Oh, yeah. And there were points, and I'm sure everyone can relate to this, where the holidays roll around and family events roll around and part of you is kind of dragging your feet like, God, it's so much work. And you got to make something or you got to get ready. You got to make sure like sometimes it's traveling, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, it's so much work. I don't want to do it. And I found myself during COVID, like part of me enjoyed it. But then after a while, it's like, I miss it. Yep. I miss the beautiful chaos. Exactly. That's the way I put it is my life. My business is controlled chaos. My family is beautiful chaos. Ah. Uh. So well put. <laughs> your mom, and, and I'm using your words from yesterday, you mm -hmm. used the word split. My mom split when I was younger. In your adolescence, mm -hmm. it was you, your dad, and your brother, and your dad raised you. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you were 
playing with RC, which is way cool, by the way, building those. I think that's super cool. It was so much fun. I miss it, to be honest, to this day. He has like new hobbies and interests, so he won't revert back. But if I if I could, I'd be like, Pops, can we do this on the weekend? Like, do you mind while I'm here? Yeah, let's just tinker. <laughs> just for a little bit, like we used to, the good old days. Yeah, for sure. That'd be kind of a cool gift, wouldn't it? Right? Like a homemade RC car? Right. And that's like father-daughter time. Exactly. and That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? And we used to model them off of, because one of the, the other big car interests that we had is we loved, I mean, I don't know, cars, but we loved monster trucks. So we would model them after like famous monster trucks, like Grave Digger and like Maximum Destruction. Like we would build the frame out like for that. Yeah. And then we'd like make them like smash into each other and stuff. So it was <laughs> great. Awesome. <laughs> Here you are younger. Mm-hmm. You're growing up. You didn't know you would end up where you are right now, but you tend to gravitate towards a lot of what society calls boy things. Yes. Which is garbage to me. And I'll keep saying it. And the people who are like, girls don't belong in that can... No, we don't do that here. You find your space. I'm going to be in mine. I'll respect you. You respect me. And don't ever talk to me or my community or my family that way. (laughs) Yes. What was next for you? So I think how it kind of evolved into, I really want to make this a part of my life. Um, I was growing up for the most part, like I said, I got really into sports because that was what kind of melded my dad, my brother and I together. And I was a competitive swimmer and I got really high up in the ranks. I timed for London of 2020 or 2012, I should say. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like I, I got there, I did it. But with the world that was going on. Like you, you were in it. And if I'm being honest, I don't know all of the details around that. So oh, when you yes. say you timed for London 2012, what does that mean exactly? It means I went up through, you know, you go to states, you go to regionals, you go to districts, then you go to like nationals. And what happens is, is in those national competitions. And when you watch the Olympics, like those are the the competitions where you can kind of see the Americans timing to see who will get to go to the Olympics. So I did that at a very young age and I got there. How old were you when you did that? Oh, I was 12, I want to say. 12? Yeah, I was I was 12. Because then in the Olympics, you can compete when you're 14, 16. So it was like a progression upward. And I think, yeah, 12 or 13. And it was, I got there. I was ready to go. I, I timed with a relay. And so it was one of those things where it's like, I didn't solo time. It was with a group of girls, like the relay events that you watch. That's how I got there. That's how I got my time. But unfortunately, it was, you know, this is in the midst of the biggest financial crisis that America has ever seen besides the Great Depression. And it just wasn't feasible to get there. And so I was like, you know what, to me, just competing and getting to that point was enough for me. And I've always been an athlete. I stayed an athlete too, even afterwards, I always swam for my high school or for the county just for fun, because I enjoyed it. But I realized I'm like, well, this is not where my life is going to go. I'm not going to be an Olympic swimmer. And that's okay. Right. And I was 12, 13. It's like, not like my life is over by making this realization. So I ended up going into high school. And I started trying to figure out who I wanted to be besides like the swimmer. I ended up making some really great friends And I carried them with me from like freshman year into like my junior and my senior year. But obviously you change a lot from 14 to 18. And one of the things that 
happens to you in high school is you get to start to drive. So I remember my first car or, or truck was a 1995 Ford Explorer XLT with about 300,000 miles on the odometer. Yeah, buddy. So, and I'm in Florida, so it was perfect. Like my dad's like, this is great for you. Like you, if you hit someone, like they're going down, not you. So just be <laughs> here. You're safe in this, in this green amorphous bubble of metal. So I was always the one that brought my friends to and from school. Cause I got a seven seater and you know, it was, that was my role, but we had friends who like their, their junior year, obviously you get your hand-me-down car. Or if you were lucky enough, you got the car that, you know, you wanted for your 16th birthday. I can't relate to that, but whatever. And then as we got older into senior year, that's when you kind of start to like show your individuality if you are into cars. So I had friends coming up and pulling into school. I'll never forget it. My one friend, Swan, had an S2K. Beautiful, lowered, purple, stunning JDM example and I saw. I'm going to have you explain the codes because not every one of my listeners are like the extreme. This is a safe space to learn about it. Gotcha. What are those things? Just so everyone can stay with you. So uh, S2K S2000 is a type of car. It's a like a Honda. And it's this cute little, like if you're familiar with Miatas, kind of think that and look into it. They're very cool. They have much more power to them. They're more modifiable, tunable. Uh, pliable cars. And so JDM is the Japanese domestic motors. So stuff like Nissan Skylines, GTRs all fall into this sort of category of Japanese motors. So that was kind of what these kids were bringing into school. And I was like, these are really cool cars. Like I like these. And it would be, you know, like before school in the morning, everyone kind of hangs out in the parking lot. If you've got a car hanging around And I would always go up to my friends and I'm like, well, your car looks different today. What did you do to it? And they would say, you know, I have a new muffler on it or I took the exhaust off or, you know, I wrapped the car a different color or I lowered it or I have new wheels or I put it on bags. So the suspension is now all the way to the floor, which I also never understood. If that's your cup of tea, so be it. But to me, I don't understand why you want to buy yourself new camber arms every three months, but like to each their own. So it was this sort of community that I wasn't aware of right under my nose. And I started really getting interested by it. And then it got to the point where it was like, okay, like, well, Hey, we're all going to this car meet on like Thursday night. Do you want to come? And I was like, of course, like, uh, this is awesome. Like there's more cars like this out there. And so we started going to, it's down here. It's in Florida. It was called uh biz speed and it was, very accepting of all car types, didn't matter what you had. And we would go out there and they would always try and like find them in these more desolate locations, like a random Home Depot with a huge parking lot so the kids could do donuts in a safe space. Or they do it down like a, a road. We, we call it Mexico, but it's technically called Beeline Highway. And it's very empty. There's no lights. There's no on turns. So it's very safe if the kids want to participate in the drag racing of sorts. You know, we don't talk about that sort of activity, but uh, it was one of those. It was like our own version of Fast and the Furious. Just to be fair, there's entire shows devoted to that on streets. True. Like true. Regular streets. We're good. I think we're kind of past that point now. Yeah, it's okay. You know, it's 
if you don't get arrested at least once, it's, it, did you really do it? Like, did you really? Yeah. <laughs> Are you serious about it? <laughs> but it was that type of community that I ended up getting really involved with. And then I, I had, I made a lot of friends through it that, that didn't go to my school. And it was, instead of going to like these cool, like show meets, we started going out to Palm Beach International Raceway and doing the real, like there was the drifters on the, t- on the actual like road track. There was the speeders on the drag racing track. And then there was the show cars all around. So it was just nothing but cars as far as the eye could see. And it ranged from everything from those S2000s all the way up to the Huracan Lamborghinis. And it was such a cool thing to see the differentiation of there's something here for everyone. Jacked up Jeeps and modified Mustangs. There was everything there. So it became a community that I saw was very accepting. And to be honest, it was it's accepting, but it's also, how do I say it correctly? It's tough. Like it's not, you, you have to have thick skin to be in this game. And to me, that's something that I've always enjoyed. And whether or not you're a girl or not, like I enjoy people that are selective with their friendship and their acceptance and their companionship. So I like the fact that these guys didn't just let anyone in. It was, you have to have respect for your vehicle and you have to have respect for the community. And I was like, you know what? That, that is something that I enjoy. I have such an appreciation for that. I mean, the women that I interview, it is that exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a private Facebook group just for the women that I interview the women that I interview become what I call Femcanic Garage alumni. Love it. There's a sticker, which I need to get better at. And I probably should just ask the women that I, in the driver's seat interview form for your guys' address mm-hmm. so that I can just send you the sticker. But one of the things that I want to do for the women that I interview is create a kind of like racing jersey. Oh, I like that. A Femcanic Garage racing jersey that... The only way you can get it is by being interviewed, invited by me or approved by me to actually interview and be on the show. I would rock that. I have so many ideas, Rachel, and there's so much I want to spoil women (laughs) with in this industry. You became a part of this community. Mm -hmm. At that point, would you say you got bit by the bug? 100%. It was a need to be out there. And it was, this is where I felt safe. This is where I felt accepted. To be honest, in that realm, I never felt like, oh, but she's a chick. I never felt that way. And my friends never made me feel that way either. They were very protective of me. Like I am. You say friends, were they majority men? All men. Their girlfriends would come to the events, but their girlfriends were not car girls, if you want to label it that way. Were they ever threatened or act funny towards you? Very much so, yes. To this day, I get that a lot. Uh, even with like the the people that I work with, sometimes when their their girlfriends come in or their wives, it's very, what is she doing here? Like, And then when I open my mouth and I'm speaking just the same way that their boyfriends or their husbands are speaking to them, it's off-putting. And I'm like, listen, I'm not trying to off-put you. I'm not trying to threaten you. I want to educate you. That way, you can one up him like that way. He doesn't have something over you. Like, yeah, you can know everything that he's saying about these cars, regardless of if it's price point or the modifications, like whatever, it doesn't matter. I want to explore something here a little bit because um, you are a beautiful young woman. Thank you. And you had shared with me and correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but you have done modeling. Yes. Right. With cars. Mm-hmm. And I want to have this conversation because I, I don't want people to get the impression that 
loving and being knowledgeable about cars as a woman doesn't mean you can't embrace your femininity and sexuality as well. Yes. It's just what you lead with. Yes. Does that make sense? And I think a lot of times people get confused. And I think some people choose to focus on one or the other, right? I imagine initially men only see you. Yes. They don't really see you, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And, you know, we kind of had that conversation before we even started recording. My daughter has been mentioned about modeling and things like that. And for you, share with the audience a little bit, what have you done around that side of things? Mm -hmm. And then I want to kind of bring it full circle to have a conversation around this. Because I had a similar conversation with Christy Lee. And Christy Lee was very clear in saying, you know what? Mm -hmm. I did wear the bikinis. She was a cheerleader, I want to say for a basketball team, a professional basketball team. She's been down that path. She's like, I'm not shaming women who do any of those things. She's like, I've done it, but I'm more than that. And that's what I also want to see. Can you share with the audience a little bit? What are some of those air quotes, stereotypical things that I want to say men and women because society has taught us that connection with cars and women being props next to cars (laughs) opposed to being behind the driver's seat. What have you done in that realm? Have you done modeling? So I did, I did a little bit of modeling. I wouldn't say I got into the circuit because eventually that wasn't where I wanted to go. The biggest thing that ever irked me was I liked going and standing by the cars. I tried not to do anything like bikini related just for the sake of my father. But I would do like the promotional crop top with the shorts and the heels walking around. And I would hand out the flyers, like the booth girls that you see at SEMA and that kind of thing. Uh, A little bit more covered up than that though. Because I feel like every year the outfits get shorter. And I'm like, girl, it's cold out here. Like, I don't know how you're doing it. Like props to you, man. But I go out there and I would do this sort of thing. And I would do the promotional work. And they were like, oh, we'll stand by this car and da 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 da. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to touch this man's car. Like, I don't want to sit on his hood. Like, I don't want to touch it. Like, I need to see him. I want to talk to him. And they're like, the photographer's like, no, no, no. Like, you can sit on it. And I'm like, no, man. Like, it's not your car. Like, so I even knew that I wasn't going to be like these girls because other girls would come around and they would like, I think we kind of mentioned this. I've seen girls go into the car, stand on the seats, like with their bare feet. And I'm like, I can't imagine how I wouldn't even touch someone's Camry, let alone like their modified Camaro SS. Like I can't imagine, but I went through the motions in that sense. And the way that I wanted out was I was walking around with my friends and I wasn't even in anything. I was in a a hoodie just like this. It was cold out. I was in a hoodie and sweats and sneakers. And I was walking around and one of these guys came up to me and they're like, Oh, is that the girl for the bikini competition? And I'm like, no, I'm not here for the bikini competition. I'm here to enjoy the car meet with my friends. And they're like, well, we need a, we need a fifth for the bikini competition. Do you got something on on underneath that? And I was like, obviously I don't have a bikini on. It's December. And they're like, well, bra and underwear will do just fine. And I'm like, nope, done. Mm -mm. We're cutting this out. Are you kidding me? Yep. That was when I was done. Was this an automotive event? Yes. It was an automotive event. What was the event? It was one of like the, I forget, I think it was like our Halloween version of like a car meet. So it was like everyone got dressed up, everyone 
kind of went out and would put like candy in their trunk sort of thing, but it was out on the racetrack. Oh, like trickered trickered trunk or yeah i don't know something like that it was something it was cold out like that's what i remember because i was freezing and i was like i'm not like just because i'm a like and it felt just because i was a girl walking around with a group of guys they were like oh she can do it she can go up there she can get naked and that's okay what did your guy friends think they freaked out and i will always give my boys props i still have so much love for all of them to this day I am not a, a man hater or anything like that. None of us are here in this community. <laughs> no, my biggest protectors, my biggest fans, my, my closest friends are all men. But it's men who respect women for what they are. Yes. And to the nitty gritty, not just, you know, my, my gender or what I have on my chest. Like, they respect me as a woman. And as a human. These guys, as a human, <laughs> yeah. And these guys freaked out. They were like, get the F back like who do you think you are like do not talk to her that way you have no idea who she is like this and that they're like get the hell out of here do not ever come up to her again and they just like they grab me and they're like you know what we're leaving like we're I don't even care to race anymore like we're out and I was like wow that wow that was cool I just got chills (laughs) I just got chills when you said that there's this big thing you know with the me too movement and how Men talking about, you know, I'm I'm not sure how to treat women now. Mm-hmm. I get it a little, right? But it's also not that hard. Like No, it's not a it's not rocket science. I had after Seema I asked a question, a gentleman came up to me after the particular talk that was going on, there was a panel of women talking. Mm-hmm. And I asked the question around, hey, what advice and what guidance would you give men? who are struggling with figuring out how to navigate, you know, sexual harassment and they want to get it right. They're just not sure what to do. Mm -hmm. And he came up to me afterwards and he's like, you asked that question and did you have something, you know, that you have in mind around that? I said, I kind of do. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of, I want to hear other women's perspective around this. And I think we tend to overcomplicate this. And it's about rapport. And jump in if you think I'm off, Rachel. I think it's about rapport. Those guys you just described, I bet you you joke around with them because you have that rapport around some of the quirkiness and differences between man and woman. Of course. And there are differences, right? Of course. But you have that rapport. They earned that rapport. You earned that rapport. You have that relationship. So you probably can joke around a little more in a vulgar way and in it be just that, right? Exactly. It's it's those moments when any person, whether it's a man or a woman, Right? Because let's be honest, women can do it to men too. Oh, yes. You don't hear about it as much. But it happens. Not saying it doesn't happen. No, it happens. Yeah, it happens. Right? But the thing here is there's a rapport one. It's not that you can't joke around about those things. You can, and it can be a lot of fun. Two, if that rapport is not established, I think it's pretty simple. If you, man, Would not go up to the Rock Dwayne Johnson, (laughs) Dwayne the Rock Johnson. My man. And do or say that thing to him, you don't do it to a woman. 
I like that. That's a good equivocation. Unless you have that report, would you go up and rub the rock's shoulders and ask him to pass you a wrench? <laughs> would you go rub his back? You're gonna get knocked. The, you're gonna get knocked I, out. I, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think we tend to overcomplicate this stuff a little bit, and some of it's perception. I get it. I'm I'm not naive. I know there's a lot more that goes into it, but. I think we need to start somewhere and talk about it. And that story that you just shared, that's all women want. That's it. That was it. You know what I mean? And what's so cool about your story, Rachel, is that so many times where something like that happens, and I've observed men stay silent, and the woman have to take it on all herself by herself. It's almost just as bad. It's it's worse because you thought those people, those men were in your corner. And all you want is for them to stand up and say that's bullshit. Don't talk to her that way. I'm not okay with that. Let's split. Yeah. And that's exactly what they did for you. They did. Man. Snaps for those guys. Golf clap. That is textbook stuff. Right there. Yep. You want to know how to handle those situations, men? It's not just about what you do. It's about what you observe other people doing to women and what you do. That is brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that story. And if those men end up hearing this podcast episode, you guys are badasses. (laughs) You really are. And like, how old were they when this happened? Ballpark. Oh, we were all... 18, 19. We were kids. We were, we were kids. Wow. Look, they get it. That young and they got it. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And that's saying a lot about you too, because you earned their respect. And it sounds like this group of guys, they don't just give that out. No. That is something you earned. Oh yeah. It took time. So here you are in your 18, 19 years old, you're really getting involved in this community and an immersion into it. Yes, you did some of the promotional stuff. And then there was this, it sounds like this was a pivotal moment for you where it's like, no more. Yeah. It's time to kind of pivot here and make sure that I'm taking seriously for the skills and knowledge and grit that I'm all about. Yes, it was. One of those moments, because one of the things the boys like strong held about, because this was their guy thing. And I kind of, I didn't intrude, but I was invited in, but I, I didn't want it to be like, oh, well, oh, Rachel's coming. Uh. Like, no, I wanted it to be like, oh, Rachel's coming. Hell yeah. Like, this is going to be great. And so one of the things that I, I implored them and I was like, because they would get together even outside of these events to work on the cars. And I was like, can I come over? Like just to sit there and like, you know, at first they think it's just shooting shit, but I'm learning, I'm watching, I'm observing, I'm hearing them talk about cars and what makes this certain car special versus this certain car. And I'm picking it up and I was like, okay, well now I, I've got an understanding, even if it's a baseline understanding. And so they would test me because if I was out there all alone on the track, for whatever reason, I'd gone to the bathroom, I can't find them. They're like, you need to be able to stand up for yourself. You need to be able to make sure that no one's taking advantage of you and not even physically, but mentally, because men love to mansplain things to women. And I feel like that's almost a breach of my personal space is like, if I'm trying to walk back to find my friends and I'm passing your car and you're like, do you know what this is, honey? 
this is the best thing out there on the track. And some, they would assume that maybe a girl would fall for it. And my boys were like, no, you tell him exactly what a piece of shit that car is. And you walk away. Like, do not let anyone fool you. And if it is a badass car, you text us so we can come see it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so they educated me a lot on cars. So that way I was never bamboozled by men trying to flaunt or to front. And that way I could make my own decision whether I liked your car or yeah. I didn't like your car. Not what you're telling me. For sure. Where did this carry you next then in your journey? So the next part was, is obviously we're getting a little bit older. We're getting into the the scheme of we don't have part-time jobs anymore. We have, we have full-time jobs now. We're, we're working, we're going to college. So schedules change, friendships strain, which is adulting, adulting, the early onset of adulting. Yes. Like we were all very much like service industry people. So it was still fair enough to say like, we get out of work at 10 o'clock at night, meets go on till midnight. So we could still go and participate, but it was more selective than it was when we were kids. So one of the meets that was great for that kind of stuff was a meet that we had down here in Boca. And a lot of like big players actually came out to this meet. It wasn't just people who owned cars. It was shops. It was dealerships who would come showcase their cars. And this show was, like I said, in Boca Raton is uh, very affluent. There's a lot of money here. So this is the events where you would start to see the Dodge Vipers, the Lamborghini Huracans, the McLaren uh, 650Ss. Like this is where you would start to see the kind of cars that everyone has on their posters in real life. So to us, we're like, we have to make it to this event. I want to see these cars. And the shops that would bring these cars out were from all over South Florida, like within, I want to say maybe an hour radius. So it was cool because once a week you get to go see what they're working on. They'd bring their project cars. You get to see the progress that they've made in that week. And it was so much fun. They had DJs out there. It was right next to a restaurant. So you could eat, come back outside, whatever. And what I really enjoyed was being able to talk to these vendors and learn more about these types of cars. Because as much as I loved my, my JDMs and my domestics and, you know, even the American muscles that I was around, like the Mustangs and the Camaros. Do you think people picked up on the JDM this time since you explained it earlier? I think they did. Uh, We're going to test them. Yep. Yep. There's going to be a quiz at the end. There is, right? Like, what does JDM stand for? Yes. <laughs> so. I enjoyed that, but my heart had always been in the exotic game. And we can translate back to a a story that I love to tell. When I was six years old, my pops took me to a car event. My dad loves American, old school American muscle, like the the old Camaro SSs, the, the Firebirds, like that's his thing. Like that's what he loves. And like the GTO judge, like that's my dad's, that is his ish. So we went to this event and we're, you know, we're walking around, we're hanging out. My dad's showing me all these cars and they're amazing. They're beautiful. And then all of a sudden, like this crowd starts separating and you hear these people going, get back, get back, get back. And so my dad like quickly picks me up, puts me over his shoulders. And through the street, I see this thing coming down with its doors up. And I'm like, what is that? And sure enough, they're clearing the crowd out. They're moving them out of the way. And there's this beautiful triple white Lamborghini Countach with its doors up. And I was like, now that, that's my kind of thing. So even at six, I was like, that's the kind of cars I like. And my dad's like, well, if you want one, you better work hard for it. So when I started getting into these car meets, I'm like, wait a second. These are the kind of cars that I've always sort of liked in my head that I've had a passion for even at like six years old. So I want to talk to these guys. I want to see what they're doing. And 
I was tired of, I'd been working since I was 14 years old to try and help my pops. So like, I was tired of working odd end jobs. I'm like, what if I actually start working towards my career? And so I would get, and I would talk to these guys and I was like, well, do you need like help at the shop? Do you need a receptionist? Do you need a cashier? Do you need a clerk? Do you need someone to do social media? Cause Instagram was very up and coming at the time. And some would be like, no, we already have that. But there was others where they were like, no, like we need help. Like we'd love that. So it wasn't even a job. I would just go and help them out. And I'd hang out at the shop, take photos, take videos. You know. I want to pause you one second because I mm-hmm. think there's a lesson in this. Of course. And I want to make sure the listeners don't miss it. Yeah. This is a theme that I've seen come up a couple times with the women that I've interviewed. There's a key thing that you said in there. You made time. Yes. To put yourself in the proximity of those people. Yes. Folks, it is about proximity. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you offered your time for free. Like, you don't even have to pay me. Just let me be in the proximity. Yes. Did I misunderstand you or am I right? No, 100% correct. Like, one of the things that they would do if I wasn't getting paid, for example, they would, like, if I ever needed an oil change, boom, done. If I ever needed my tires rotated, boom, done. If I ever needed my tires done, I get them at cost versus doing the labor and everything like that. That was more the trade if there was a trade, but I was not on payroll. I was not, you know, W-2, nothing. I was just there because I wanted to be there. That is such an important thing that people need to hear. And it doesn't matter how old you are. Mm -mm. I don't care if you're older and you want to change careers. It does not matter. If you want something, fill in the blank on whatever that is. Do whatever you can to get in proximity to the players of that something. Yep. And don't expect to get paid. No. Your payment is your proximity to them. Because a lot of times... Knowledge is power. Yeah. A lot of times just by you being in proximity and other people seeing you in proximity with them opens up slews of doors for you. Yes. So don't go in expecting to get paid. Don't go in that way. Go in wanting to be in proximity and that is it. Yep. Because those types of people, just by being in proximity, hearing and watching how they interact with other people, hearing the language, the lingo, the people, other people, that is payment enough. Yep. That is why you are where you're at, Rachel, because you understood that at a young age and you are diligent about just putting yourself in proximity to it. You saw something you wanted. You saw the players that already have that something and you simply went after putting yourself in physical proximity to those people and things. Yep. It makes it more real and tangible for someone. It it did. And it's brilliant. And it was, it is what got me my I went to the shop one day. I had a really rough day at work. I was a server bartender at the time and I was like, I'm so over this. Like I'm so tired of the long hours. I'm so tired of the bad pay. Like whatever. I was sick of it. And I was just venting to the guys. And like they stopped me and they're like, I think I know what to do. And I was like, oh they're gonna offer me a job. But no, they didn't. They sent me to a dealership in Boca Raton called XL Auto, and they are an exotics-only boutique dealership, and they were like, they're looking for a receptionist. Go, apply, tell them we sent you, and see what happens. And I was like, okay. So sure enough, I go, 
And I'd actually seen these guys out before at events and stuff because they were one of the guys that would bring the the cool cars to the track and stuff. And I was always like, oh, these guys have cool cars, whatever. We had the interview. We made face. And I ended up leaving. And I was like, well, I feel really good about that. And I got a call 20 minutes out. And it was the the owner of the dealership. And he was like, hey, yeah, so you have the job. Like, put your two weeks in today. Like, I need you as soon as possible. So sure enough, I went and I quit my serving job. And two weeks later, I was working at an exotic car dealership, which is basically how I got my foot in the door to what I'm doing now. Just to kind of do a spoiler here, what is it that you do now? So uh, the the big thing that is how Brandon, you and I connected is I have written a children's book that is the world's first and only children's book that features 21 sounds from real cars. So think about the, you know, the books that you're like, what does the cow say? And you press the button and it says moo. My book is what does the Mustang say? And you press the button and you hear the roar of a Mustang's engine. And then you hear the, like the initial rev off. So it's like three seconds of that car's specific sound. And it goes from a Honda Civic all the way to a Pagani Huayra, which is the world's rarest car. And everything in between, everything from Hummers, Corvettes, BMWs, Ferraris, Acuras, I tried to include everything. So that is my my claim to the car world. And then on top of that, I also work in a, a different uh, exotic dealership. It's called Exotics Hunter. And we are an allocation service where we help people find their dream exotic cars And then on top of that, I also work with one of South Florida's largest car collectors and car educators. His name is Pejman Gadimi, and he runs an online platform called Exotic Car Hacks. So I am surrounded by these cars on all sides. And I honestly, there's nothing more exciting to me than getting to go to work every single day because I'm working around the things that I love most. Wow. And see, it all starts again with proximity and your willingness to go in and be a receptionist. Yes. So that it put yourself in proximity to people. Yes. And I was blessed because the salesman would come up to me, we would converse and we would talk. And I was like, so can you teach me about these cars? Like, what is this car? Why is this car this? Why is this car that? And they would do it. They would teach me. We'd have lunch. And I had one salesman, his name was Gus. And Gus would quiz me. We'd walk through, like go into the back to get stock or whatever. And he was like, what's this car? What's this car? What's this car? No, that's wrong. Go back. What's this car? What's this car? And it was cool because I was learning. All right, like I'm, I'm understanding now. When I met PJ, he was a client of the dealership. So him and I got to talking because I'm the receptionist. I'm up front. He's waiting for the owner or whatever. We start to talk. And he was like, well, you actually know what you're, you're doing. You, you know these cars. And I was like, you know, for the most part, like I'll give myself like I'm not an expert by any means, but I do know and I do love these cars. And, you know, for a while, PJ and I would talk every time he came in. And then eventually it was almost the same scenario. I vented to him. I was like, this is getting to be too much because ladies, I'm sure that we've all felt this when you are a woman who is confident in herself. uh, When other women are around who are not that way, it becomes a very toxic environment. And it was very much like that at the dealership. And I had never experienced office politics before because I was coming from being a server and a bartender where if somebody didn't like you, you had it out in the break room and you're like, all right, like, let's go. Like, let's have a conversation. But in a corporate setting, you can't do that because then HR gets involved. So I couldn't do it. So I would vent to PJ. I'm like, listen, is there a way 
that I can maybe, you know, navigate this better, just talking as friends. And he was like, yeah, I have a way for you to navigate it. Quit. You asked for mentorship. Yep. Professional mentorship. And he was like, quit. And I was like, I'm not a quitter. He was like, no, quit and come work for me. And I was like, doing what? He was like, I have a collection. I have a course. I have this thing that's all about cars, which is what you like. So we will figure it out. We will put you in a role where you're happy. And I've worked alongside him now for coming up on six years. Like it has been a journey. And it without him, without his guidance, without his mentorship, uh, what cars say, which is my book, would not be a thing. Like he has helped me exponentially. And that's what I'm saying. Like my my biggest fans, my biggest players, the people that I owe the most to in this industry are men, but they are men that respect women as humans, as individuals, and as intellectual individuals. Cause he has never demoted me to my my sex, my gender, nothing. He was like, you are someone that is knowledgeable about cars. You're personable. You're nice. You're educated. You you speak well. There's no reason that you shouldn't have a platform. And he's given it to me. And anytime I've messed up, he's pulled me right back. And he's like, nope, fix it. And he's just been that with me. This is so important. I, I want to debunk because when people, I'll say people, because men and women are both guilty of this. When they hear that, they're like, Oh, he was just trying to get in your pants. That's why it was nice. And that is not the case, people. (laughs) A woman doing what you are doing doesn't mean if a man is trying to help create and and provide a platform for a woman, it doesn't immediately mean he's just trying to get in her pants. Can we graduate from that at some point? I know men are, you know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus, but come on guys. Like it's okay. Like it's, I've had to have this conversation with women before. Cause like I said, I hang out with their, their boyfriends, their men. I'm like, listen, I don't want your man. And I highly doubt he wants me. So chill. Like I do not want anything from him more than friendship. And to some people it confounds their logic. Like I have a really good friend who is a guy who genuinely believes that men and women cannot be friends, which I guess our friendship cost. I, it must confuse the hell out of him. But he genuinely feels, he's like, I can't be friends with women because I'm going to want them one day. And I'm like, that's such a shallow mentality to have. Like, why? Like, just because the parts fit? Like, come on now. That's not fair. Okay. Here's a funny story, Rachel. I grew up in a small town. I knew at a young age that I was different than uh, other people in my small town. I, I didn't figure it out. And I didn't come out until I was 23 years old. Okay. And I remember when I came out. There were some women that I grew up with and that I went to college with and stuff that when they found that out, they were offended that I wasn't attracted to them or hit on them. What? And I'm like, the point that I'm making here is whether it's heterosexual or same sex, it does not mean if you are attracted to the same sex that you are attracted to all of the same sex. It doesn't mean that if you're heterosexual that you're attracted to all of the opposite sex. No, whatsoever. You need to get out of that. Like, seriously, if you are heterosexual, you can be friends with the opposite sex and not want to have sex with them. Yes, that is very much so the case there. i Many of my male friends, I would not touch with a 39 and a half foot pole. Like, they drive me crazy. It's almost like a brother-sister. Like, it grosses you out. Yes. Yes. Very much so. And and it's not that they're less than. No. 
It's just, that's just the way it is. And that's okay. And normal. Very normal. It's like, you don't like all the same types of cookies. Like, so why, why? No, if someone offers you an oatmeal raisin, you don't like an oatmeal raisin, you're not going to eat it. Who cares? And that doesn't mean that person isn't attractive no. or cool or awesome. No. It's just you don't see them that way. And you never, you probably never will. And that's okay. No, there's so many times I've set up my girlfriends with my guy friends. Because I'm like, yo, listen, like he drives me up the wall. But I know he's a good guy. You're into blondes. He's a blonde. Boom. Match made. Like, go bother him. Like, it's fine. He needs someone. I know what he likes. You fit the bill. There you go. Congratulations. Match made in heaven. Yes. And we'll continue being great friends. And that is all it's going to be. Yeah. And that's okay. That is it. No, and that, that's it. I'm happy with that. You're happy with that. So what? So be it. Yeah. I'm with you. Boy, we're we're in some... We need to do some brainwashing or unbrainwashing. I don't even know what to call it, but... That is a beautiful thing. What do you do for PJs this last six years? I imagine your role has evolved immensely. Yes. It went from doing a lot of like online administrative work for these because it's a back end, like it's an online course that basically teaches people how to own exotic cars without that whole mentality of like, if you don't have the entire amount to buy it cash, then you can't buy it at all sort of thing. Or it's sort of like, that's why it's called exotic car hacks. So uh, there's a lot of back end work that goes into it, customer service, uh, administrative, operational stuff. Wait, I want to I want to back up one. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. He basically teaches people how you can own an exotic car without being a billionaire. Yes, exactly. Got it. Okay, I'm following. Yeah, perfect way to to put it. And it's about you know working with cars that have already depreciated, such as like owning a a 2013 Lamborghini Gallardo. Versus buying a brand new 2021 Lamborghini STO from the dealership. Like there's certain different mentalities. And if any of the women are interested, it is called Exotic Car Hacks. It's a very interesting program. There are three women out of 6,000 members. So please, if you want to join, uh, I'm happy to give you my information. You will have a free membership. I got you covered. Like this is, I I do not like that there's three women involved and one of them is me. So. So two two players that are women, and I can't say one way or another if it's someone's wife or whatever. But there are two female names in my in my roster. So uh, I started doing that sort of stuff with him, and he has a bunch of other companies. He does a ton of stuff. So it became like working him with like his schedule and kind of being like his personal assistant for a while. But then I got to the point where I was like, I don't. I want to go back to the cars. Like I want to do the car stuff. That was fun for me. And, uh, that course, that lifestyle, he ended up being on, um, Netflix's fastest car, uh, season two, episode one, I believe he's on. And so that kind of propelled the business forward and it caused for me needing to be in that full time and going back to cars. And then on top of that, we decided to basically work with my other business partner, Hunter, Hunter Shaw is his name. And he has the dealer license. So together with Exotic Car Hacks, we have sort of bonded his dealership with ours, like our course. And so we help our members find exotic cars. Like we're teaching them how to do it. And then we help them do it through his dealership. Almost kind of like a curator. Exactly. It's like a one-stop shop. You learn how to do it. And then we also have a service where basically you, you pay like an allocation fee. 
we find the car, we negotiate it down, we get it shipped out to you, like a very full service orientation sort of thing. And then on the side, Hunter has his own dealership. He's selling his own cars. He does a lot of uh, like super bikes, the Ducatis and stuff like that. So it's a never ending cycle of cars and bikes and automotive movement. So uh, it's like your perfect world, isn't it? It really is. And so that's sort of what I do and I deal with on the daily, more so uh, becoming a key player. Like it's the three of us who have meetings, which I like instead of just the two men having meetings. It's like Rachel gets to have a voice with them, see what, you know, I can bring to the table and add that feminine touch. Like for a lot of the times, men are very aggressive in the way that they speak. And I can tell the, like, I can tell them, I'm like, hey, listen, this guy needs to be talked to a little a little nicer, a little sweeter. Like he's about to spend 200 K. Like you guys want to make him feel a little bit better about himself. So like he's willing to cut the check and it's, it's a give and take. It's, it's a lot of, I, cause what you see in like the used car dealership stuff is definitely not what my lifestyle is. Like we do not berate, belittle, demean, push like hefty on customers. It is a very soft, open educational experience. So it requires that feminine touch, which I've started to evolve into where I am coming to these guys as a educational and somewhat authoritative role where I'm like, hey, listen, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to expect. We're going to go through this process. Maybe this car is better for you versus that car. And then in addition to that, they also have the expertise of PJ and the expertise of Hunter. But I've gotten to become one of the, the, the trilogy, I like to say. And I imagine all along the way, you're honing your expertise and learning from them as well. 100%. I think PJ's been doing this for 20 plus years. He is our he is our mentor. He is our guide. And so Hunter and I learn a lot and we learn different things. Like I'm not interested in being a car dealer. Never have I ever, nor will I ever. So I think Hunter learns a lot of that from PJ Versus I learned the more psychological aspect and the business side of things from PJ. And it's great because when I started my book, I needed that. I didn't need the expertise on how to do title work and, you know, help people get approved at banks. I needed to know, listen, this is the business sense of everything. This is how you create a website. This is how you run a back end for members. This is how you, you know, market. This is what Facebook ads are like. This is what Instagram ads are like. This is what it means to go on podcasts. This is what it means to go on, you know, YouTube videos. Like he taught me that. And so in a way, I'm grateful for not knowing everything because I don't need to know everything. Yeah. And I think that's a great distinction. Here you are, you're an author, you're a children's author. And a lot of people, and I ask this question, I'm like, well, do you have children? And the answer is no, you don't have children. I do not. Why a children's book? So the idea initially stems when uh, actually another one of our coworkers, his name is Alan Dang, very good friend of mine. Uh, we've been working together now for six years. He's PJ's like right hand. He got married in 20, 2019, I think 2019. Uh, and it was in Italy. So we all went. It was beautiful. It was amazing. And I remember sitting in a cafe in Rome. And this sounds like a crazy thing to recount, but I was sitting there and I was like, I'm seeing all the cars that drive by. And for anyone that's been, you know, that's traveled internationally, you see a lot of cars that you don't see in America, maybe because they're diesel engine only or whatever. Like there's brands that you've never seen here, nor will you ever see here. So I was kind of confounded. I was like, what is that car? Like, that's so bizarre. I've never experienced that, whatever. And so I was like, what if I like wrote a book for kids about like cars 
And PJ being the businessman that he is, he was like, eh, he's like, fix it. And I was like, fix what? And he was like, make it better. And I was like, okay. So I kind of the entire time that we're in Italy, I'm like thinking, I'm like, well, what if I did like an encyclopedia for kids on different types of cars that maybe they'll only see if they go international. And I'm like, no, that's not it. And I kept going and I kept going and I kept thinking about it. And then I ended up coming home and a week later, him and I had a lunch meeting and we're sitting there and I was like, what if I did a kid's book that taught kids about cars through the sounds that cars make, what cars say? And he looked at me and he was like, expand. And I was like, what if I give the cars a voice because every car sounds different? And we've had these conversations as car people. I'm like, listen, a Mustang doesn't sound like a Ferrari and a Honda doesn't sound like a Mini Cooper. They all sound different. So what if I did that? And he was like, you need more than that. Go. I'm like, well, what if I made rhymes in the book, like on the pages? I had the car, I had the rhyme on top and the rhyme was educational and fun and easy to read. That way, not only parents could do it, but older kids could do it, like with a second grade reading level. And he was like, keep going. I was like, and then on top of that, you press the button and the button's the same as the car that's in the book. And he was like, he's like, million dollar idea. Go, let's do it. And I was like, really? And he was like, write it, get everything done, come to me and we'll do it. And so it was never something that I thought I was going to end up doing to this day. Like people are like, did you always know you wanted to be a children's book author? Nope. This is not the direction I thought I ever wanted to go, but I am so grateful that I've gotten to go down this path because it is the coolest thing that I think I could ever possibly like do. It's so cool to introduce myself. Like, Hey, I'm an author. I write kids books. People are like, wait, what? Like you do, you do what now? Like Dr. Seuss. And I was like, Dr. Seuss wishes his books look like mine. Okay. Like my book is cool. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Do you mind sharing your story? You shared it with me last night. We talk about men and women's kind of fight to be in this industry, but women do it as well, right? Yes. Fall into the stereotypical norms. Um, about how you had a family, mm-hmm. husband, wife, and child, which has a girl, mm-hmm. came in to purchase a car. Mm-hmm. And just to remind folks, these cars that you guys are selling are exotic cars. Yes. I mean, would you say easily 100,000 plus cars? This one was, for instance, this is um, this one's a, a Bentley Continental that they were purchasing. So... Uh, MSRP on those is anywhere from like two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars. Mind you, that's not what we sold it for, but those cars are, you know, quarter million dollar cars on their best day. Yeah. Here they are. They came in. You guys curated and found this car. Yes. And they're coming in for delivery day to receive their car. Yes. We always encourage families because a lot of the times, uh South Florida's big. It's not that big. So a lot of the times uh, our clients are spread out all over the US. So when we get moments to do an in person we always encourage them. We're like, let's make it a thing. We'll try to go to lunch. We'll, we'll bring out our cars, like the collection that we have. So it's an experience. And we're like, bring your wife, bring your partner, bring your kids, bring your, your mom, your dad, whoever. Like, this is an exciting experience and we want you to feel that way. And so a lot of the times people come with their significant others. And then in this instance, this gentleman brought his wife and they had a beautiful little girl about like four or five years old. She was the cutest thing. And, you know, PJ and Hunter are talking to the the dad and whatnot, and the men are bonding and this little girl's running around. And so 
I want to hang out with her. I don't want to talk about the car. I want to hang out with the little one. So we're running around, we're talking, and there's other cars around. And she's very inquisitive. She was like, why is this one red, but this one's yellow? Like kid questions. And I'm trying to explain to her why that is the way it is. And we're talking cars on a very four-year-old level. And I was like, this girl needs my book. Like she she needs it. And on top of that, like the, the Bentley that was in the book was the Bentley that's her dad's buying. Like it was perfect. Like it's total like permeation of like, she knows that she's in daddy's Bentley, like this black Bentley. And here on this book page is a black Bentley that looks just like her dad's. So there is no better retention for a child than that. And I was like, this is amazing. And the man had other cars too. He had a Ferrari. There's a Ferrari in the book. So I'm like, this is great for her. And so I went upstairs and I grabbed a copy And as they were getting ready to leave, I was like, here you go, baby. Like, this is for you. Like, I want you to have this. Like, I wasn't charging them or nothing. I was like, I just want her to have it in the car so she can play with it too. And she was so excited. She goes up to her mom and she's like, mommy, mommy, look. And the mom picks up the book. She looks at it and she puts it back on the table. And she's like, no, baby, cars are for boys. I've seen and I've heard some stuff in my life. I've had things said to me, but to hear that, was definitely one of the worst. I felt like I took a bullet to the gut. I was like, wow. And you could see the sadness on this little girl's face of like, like she kind of like almost looked back at me and I was like, you know, I, I can't do anything. And the mom didn't look at me. The mom didn't acknowledge me. And I was like, you know what? It's okay. Like, it's fine. So my, my boss PJ overheard it and he kind of see it on my face. And he was like, why don't you go outside? And I was like, and so I grabbed my book walked outside and I put it in the car anyway. You put it in the trunk of the car, right? Put it in the trunk of the car. I was like, so the dad's going to see it when the dad gets out of the trunk to put the trickle charger on, he's going to see that book. And now it's his decision. And I hope, and I pray that he gave that book to his daughter and was like, look at daddy's car in that book and sat with her and read it and enjoyed it with his daughter because it doesn't matter what she enjoys. It doesn't matter whether her mommy wants her to have Barbies or not. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't in any regard prevent her from enjoying cars as well. And she was so excited. Like it's one of those things where you can just see it in a kid's eyes where it's like, this is something like when I was six years old and I saw that Lamborghini, it was the same look. And I was like, this is something that could spark a a generational change. And to see the mom shut it down. I've seen dads shut it down. But to see the mom shut it down. As a woman, I was like, what are you doing? Like, this is not okay. This is not how we solve the problem at all. And it, it's like, it gets under my skin. Like, I feel like I'm coming out of myself right now. Because it, it bothered me so much. And I still think about it to this day. And I'm like, I hope they buy another car so I can come back and talk to them and see this little girl again. But Does it, PJ know that you put the book in the trunk? Oh, yeah. That's why he said, he's like, why don't you just go? What did PJ think? He was so proud. He looked at me and he was like, have you ever? Because we've done events before. And like, girls have come up to my table and like played with my book. And you know, the dad's like, oh, like, you know, baby, like cars are cars are for boys. And he's never gotten upset by that. I mean, to me, it upsets me. But he's like, he's like, calm down, right? Like, it's okay. Like, it's whatever. But when the woman did it, I think it even shell shocked him. Like, wait, what? Like, you're saying that to her? Like, especially because it's not 
a man giving her the book either. Like we are all women right here. And you're going to deny her that. And I think that blew PJ's mind. And it even blew Hunter's mind too, because we have talked about it since. And he was like, do you see that more in affluent where it's more gender? Well, let me back up. Mm -hmm. Do you mind sharing with the listeners your ethnic background? Uh, Yes, I am Cuban American. Okay. So my father is full-blooded Cuban. Uh, My mom was uh, a mix of everything from Europe, but I was born and raised in America. English is my first language. And I've grown up in a very, uh, I will say white centric place like Florida is Hispanic oriented, but where I live in Florida, predominantly the the nationality is white. Mm -hmm. You've experienced Cuban culture. Yes. Growing up. And you come from humble beginnings. Yes. And you shared that, you know, your background and your first car started like what you said, at 300,000 miles on it, a Ford Explorer, right? Yep. You weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth, so to speak. And here you are working with exotic cars on a daily basis now. Do you find working with the clientele that you work with, obviously, even with exotic car hacks, mm-hmm. you're still working with affluent people? Yes. Do you find that working with affluent people, that there's more gender role specific, or do you think it's a cultural thing? Because I'm not familiar with Cuban culture. Mm-hmm. My partner's Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. I shared a story with you about uh, Mexican-American uh, Julia, that episode, episode 10. And she shared about uh, very specific gender roles based on their culture. And I've observed it in the Puerto Rican culture as well. And with your experience with Cuban culture, do you see similarities in gender-specific stuff yes. among affluent people? To be honest, in the in the affluent space, I've never felt that it was a, a gender thing. I in these, I, I don't want to say what type of Hispanic, but they were, but they were Hispanic. So, you know, we talked about that last night and it kind of made it click in my head later on. I was like, well, they were Hispanic. So maybe that's why the mom was being so like, no baby, like cars are for boys. Mm-hmm. But a lot of acceptance comes from the more affluent side. A lot of my, my clients are on the more affluent side, even for the book, aside from, you know, the day to day, you know, normal people that find me through a Facebook ad or whatever it may be, the the people that, you know, enjoy my book the most for what it's meant for are people that are bigger players in the community monetary, like monetarily wise. And they're like, this is amazing to be able to teach kids about cars. And it's also created a big amount of like philanthropy on my side, because even though I'm not as, you know, financially inclined as some of these gentlemen are, uh, I can work alongside with them to do stuff. So like I've done donations for St. Jude's, Toys for Tots, fun runs and everything like that. I'm like, well, I can donate my book. I can do this. I don't have the money, but I have this. And they love it. They're mm-hmm. super appreciative of it. I've seen the dads give their daughters the books. I think what it came down to was the more cultural side of things. Gotcha. And my dad never did that to me. And I think maybe it was because he's like, listen, like she doesn't have her mom. So she can just do whatever she wants to do. And I'm going to just try to be a good parent to my child, not a good father to my daughter. I will just be a good parent to my child. But I have uncles who have the mentality of, and we talked about this last night, uh, if I came to them and I like- You should be in the kitchen. Or I, I power washed, I pressure washed the sidewalk one time. And then we went to like a family dinner afterwards and there was like an arcade in there. And I was like, well, I have 10 bucks to spend. And my uncle looked at me and he goes, don't say bucks. That's not ladylike. I hate that phrase. I hate ladylike phrases. (laughs) To be honest, it's one of those things where I felt it was my, 
the, that Hispanic uncle being like, hey, girls don't talk that way. Girls don't say those kinds of things. Like even now, I have a mouth of a sailor. I am a children's <laughs> book author, but I swear comes from my time in the dealership. I turn it on and I turn it off. But it, I do. I have a bad mouth. And my father is like, he'll very slightly, like he doesn't reprimand me. But if I curse, like if I say shit, he'll be like, shoot, underneath his breath. <laughs> Or if I'm like, bitch, he's like, brat. Like, he'll like, con- like, he's like, no, like, come on, Rach, like, go better. But if I'm ever around like my uncles, they're like, who taught you to curse like that? Who said that that's okay? How are you ever going to find a man that puts up with that kind of mouth? And I'm like, what? There'll be a man in my life because I want him there, not because I need him there. Exactly. And I do give my dad props because that was the biggest thing that he instilled in me. And also another reason why i been in the car world is my dad taught me at a very young age how to change my tire, how to change the oil, how to even do simple stuff like change the freaking the fluid for the wipers, how to change an actual wiper blade, like small stuff. He's like, I don't ever want you to feel like you have to rely on a man for even something so menial as changing a tire. He's like, you don't need a man in your life. You want a man in your life. And I was like, you know what? Damn straight. And that's done a lot for my self-esteem as a woman being 25 in the the prime of her like dating life everyone that i choose is a want not a need beautiful what is next for rachel what is next is uh what car say is a baby uh she was born in 2020 uh i got my first batch august of 2020 i went through all the covid nonsense it was insane but she's a baby she's just a year old so there is so much more that I want with What Car Say. There is a, a whole trilogy back end that's coming out. There's two more books that I'm writing. Uh, and in addition... Ooh, what's a sneak peek? What are those topics on? What Trucks Say and What Things That Go Say. So boats, planes, trains, all that other fun stuff that kids are interested in. Yeah. And then after that, I do have something that I've been super passionate about. Again, I love kids. I want to teach kids, but I am by no means a teacher, nor do I want to go back to school to become a teacher. But I think one of the biggest things that kids these days don't understand is basic knowledge. Like for one of the things that I was so shocked when I was older, I was out of school and I was watching my brother go through school. He would come to me with like these crazy calculus questions. And I was like, you're never going to use that a day in your life again. But you know what you do need to know how to apply for a freaking credit card. And nobody teaches you that. And nobody teaches you how to apply for a car loan. Nobody teaches you how to navigate student loans or nothing. Like you're just signing stuff because you're a kid and you don't know better. I was like, somebody needs to teach these kids that. And in conjunction, there's other stuff that kids need to learn, even at a younger age, like how to change a tire, how to you know check your oil in cars, not even just car centric, but in other ways, like how to, you know, meet friends, how to properly, you know, navigate just the world and stuff that school isn't going to teach you and stuff that maybe while you're trying to learn in school, you feel bullied or pressured because kids are mean. So with COVID and online learning becoming more of a accepted field and realm, like parents aren't so opposed to putting their kids in front of a computer to learn a lesson anymore. What I want to do is I want to create an after school tutoring session from ages I, I always say like ages like nine, so like third grade, all the way up until 18, 19 of lessons that they can learn, whether it's like etiquette or like I said, how to you know change a tire, 
why certain things are certain ways, like how to pump gas even. And then as they get older, like, hey, listen, this is, you're 18 now. You need to learn how to apply for a credit card. You're 16. You're going to start applying for scholarships. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to say. You know, little tiny things. And I want to create that so that way kids are learning what the real world needs them to know, but they don't because they're too busy learning what the, like the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Like, uh, It'd help if I wasn't talking on mute. (laughs) I said, I think this is the perfect time to launch into the red line round. I have a good idea what I think some of the answers may be. And I hope in one of the things that you explore in your future books is around debunking this push that everyone should go to a four-year college. In that there is beauty and class and sophistication in STEM and women getting into the trades. Like I, I just oh yeah, no, I don't. I'm one of your biggest fans. Um, I look super forward to promoting your book and sharing this. I know there's a lot of mothers in my community <sighs> that are figuring out how to navigate being in this industry that they love. And being a mother and being pregnant and what that all means. So a huge fan. Let's jump in to this red line round. What the red line round is, just five rapid fire questions. No right or wrong answer. Whatever pops into your head's the right answer. Are you ready, Rachel? Let's do it. All righty. The first question is, who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? Uh, my dad. Always my dad. Go Pops. Go Pops. Go Pops. Love my Pops. If you're listening, Pops, I love you with all my heart. To the moon and back. Mwah. Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you feel stuck? I always go to PJ. PJ is my my mentor and my best friend. PJ, when you listen to this, couldn't have done it without you. You are the best single-handedly. Thank you. What excites you most about what you do? The fact that every single day is different. No two days are alike. And every single day I get to learn something. What is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in this industry when you feel stuck, unsupported, or discouraged? A personal habit. A personal habit. I think one of the biggest things, as I said earlier, knowledge is power. If I ever feel stuck or unsure... I love to watch YouTube videos about cars. It gives me power. It gives me knowledge. And it also gives me a sense of belonging. Like this is something I'm interested in. So I'm going to sit here and I'm actually going to enjoy my time learning about this sort of thing. So that way I can come back. And then usually the next day I go to Hunter, I go to PJ, I go to someone and we discuss it. And then boom, all of a sudden, now we're in a conversation. Now we're bonding over something. I don't feel stuck. I don't feel lost. I don't feel alone anymore. And it's something so small, but it makes such a big difference. And finally. What is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in this industry? You are you, and that is your biggest accomplishment, no matter where you are in life, no matter how old you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, you are you, and that is your superpower. And being a woman in and of itself is a superpower. And the more that we step into that and the more that we embrace that as Women, daughters, mothers, sisters, aunts, grandmas, no matter what, the stronger we're going to become and the stronger we're going to become together, 
And the more that we can do to educate the next generation about this speaks gravity and millions to what we are capable of doing today. Beautifully said. Where and how can people connect with you and find your book? Okay, so uh, for the book, it is www.whatcarssay.com. What cars say? Very simple. The S is not shared. It is cars say. And then uh, on Instagram, I am Rach, R-A-C-H dot Alfonso, A-L-F-O-N-S-O. If you want to find me on Facebook, I am Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, Marie, M-A-R-I-E, Alfonso, A-L-F-O-N-S-O. And we'll also include that information in the show summary. So you guys can just click on the links as well. Mm -hmm. All right, Rachel, thank you so much for taking the Femcanic Garage podcast plunge. And thank you for being in the driver's seat today. It has been an absolute pleasure learning about your story and such a cool book. I wish I would have had your book when my munchkins were younger. And I'm still going to get the book and I'm still going to read it and listen to it. My son loves cars. Love and I think he will get an absolute kick out of it. Amazing. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Could potentially play into your legacy in this world. Mm. Thank you, Jamie, so much. And thank you for all that you do for all of us here in the industry, women, men. This is an incredible opportunity. I can't thank you enough for having me on the show and, and having these conversations with me. I've learned so much from you and I look forward to our friendship ongoing and those happy hours that we talked about. Yes. Woodford and ginger beer. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Rachel. Thank you so much. My name is Rachel Alfonso, author of the world's latest and greatest book, What Cars Say, and I'm a femcanic. Jamie Helm is in the driver's seat next. She built her first transmission at age 17 by reading a shop manual and has built hundreds since. Jamie co-owns, runs, and works daily in their shop located in the suburbs of Chicago. Be sure to check out next week's episode as this fearless and empowered mom shares some behind-the-scenes intel on Motor Trends Bitchin' Boot Camp. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribe for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a Femcanic?